We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. I will, let's open up to Daniel chapter 5. And today we look at that saying, the writings on the wall. Have you guys heard that saying before? The writings on the wall. You know, what that means is that, man, it's, it's like a done deal. You know, this is going to happen. In this case, we're going to see it's something that God, I, I think he uses to warn us. You know, in life, and I don't know where they are, but there are certain lines that we should not cross. You know, in life, uh, we try not to sin. And, you know, you guys know what sin means. It means missing the mark. And so you, know, you try not to, like maybe when you were shooting archery. Did you guys ever do that? And, you know, you try for the bullseye. But you're not going to hit it every time. That's life. We do sin. We're not going to hit that bullseye every time. But we try, right? And that's what sin is. But there's another thing in the Bible. It's called transgression. And what transgression is, is when you cross the line. It's like when even when God even says, hey, there's a line here. And if you do this, it's kind of like you've gone too far. You know, and if you're not a Christian, God will punish you. And if you are a Christian, God will discipline you. But there are lines that we must not cross. And that's what we're going to see today. When the king of Babylon, he takes the articles that he took from the temple of God and he mocks God and he worships his demons. God says, as a result of that, you will die. And the people that you aspire to lead will die as well. And so we see in Daniel 5 a heavy lesson. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. We see, first of all, verses one through four, the, the transgression we begin with this guy by the name of Melshazzar. He was the king of Babylon. And in one sense, he was this guy, Belshazzar. He was bad in the worst sense of the word. You know, something interesting, just as a quick side note. Until 1853, uh, there was no mention of uh, Belshazzar in archaeological records and any of the Babylonian records. According to their records, uh, the king Nabonidus was known to have been the last king of Babylon. And so the critics, they criticized the Bible. They criticized the book of Daniel. They said it was not historically accurate. But sure enough, in 1853, archaeological discoveries found an inscription on the cornerstone of a temple built by Nabonidus in Ur, which read this. It says, May I, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, not sin against thee, and may reverence for thee dwell in the heart of Belshazzar, my firstborn and favorite son. 
You see, when you find that, you guys, one of the things about the Bible, it is just flooded with archaeological evidence in the Holy Land. And here we have another example of that, this guy Belshazzar. According to extra-biblical records, uh, Nabonidus was the king at this time. However, the historical records also are clear in that this king, Nabonidus, spent most of his time in Arabia. And so while he was away during those times, this king, Belshazzar, his son, was known as the de facto king of Babylon. This explains why later he's going to offer Daniel or whoever can interpret this handwriting on the wall the third highest position because that's really all he has to offer. And so anyways, here's this guy and he has this great feast. Uh, It's a huge party. Think about it. For a thousand liters, right? They're there. And then we read something real interesting. Notice in verse 2, it says, While he tasted the wine. Now, that right there is an interesting phrase. It might be in reference to the sense of, you know, now he's officially commencing the banquet. But, you know, more than likely what it means, and we're pretty sure this is what it means, when he got drunk. As they're there and they're having this party and they're eating all this food and they're drinking their wine. It came to that point in the juncture of the evening when this man was intoxicated. He was inebriated. And what he does now as a result of that foolishness will lead himself and his people to their doom. You know, and how many of us here can testify to the way that alcohol often makes people do things that they regret sometimes for the rest of their life. You know, how many people have died due to the things they did when they got drunk? You know, in this case, we see the king of Babylon breaking out the holy vessels of the Lord that were taken from the temple of the true God in order to mock the true God and to praise the false gods. And I just want to just really encourage you guys just warn you, um, you don't need that. You don't, man. I mean, you know, we're going to see later, as a matter of fact, I love the way the Lord is. You know, he doesn't just take something away and, and, and not replace it. He wants to take away the alcohol. He wants to take away the you being under the influence of the alcohol. And he wants to take you and allow you to be under the influence of God. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, just as we used to drink before we were Christians and, you know, we used to do things or fill things that, that really sometimes were not necessary or good and it kind of altered our behavior, God says, this is what I want to do with you now. I want to alter your behavior. I want to be the one to alter your behavior. I was reading an article yesterday, and they, what they do is they go around uh, to different schools. There's this organization. It's called Every 15 Minutes. Because every 15 minutes in America, someone dies in an alcohol-related car accident. And so what they do is they go to the schools and they put on these, uh, these real, it looks real, they actually do an accident and they have the kid um, with all his makeup and blood and it just looks like they, they died. They have a funeral, the parents even write the words of now they, they miss their child who died in this car accident because this is, these are the things that happen. You know, and, and, and right here, this is what happened with this guy, Belshazzar. They're there, they're drinking, they're partying. 
you know, then what ends up happening is he then commands them to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Now the word father right here, just in case you're wondering, can also be translated grandfather. It's the same in the Aramaic language. And so they brought in the vessels that they had taken from the temple. Now you can visualize that. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they went into Jerusalem and they went into the temple and they took all the gold and all the silver and all the brass and all the things that were there of any value and they carried them back to Babylon. And so here they are with those vessels that they took out of God's holy temple. And I I know it sounds kind of weird, but, you know, they, they, they drank from these gold vessels. You know, later in the book of Esther, chapter 1, verse 7, they did the same thing. They served drinks in golden vessels. And it sounds kind of weird, huh? I even went online. I'm like, Lord, are there any gold, you know, cups available, you know, out there? And there still are. They're very expensive. <laughs> I was thinking, well, how, how weird to drink out of gold cups. But if you were so rich, you were just so rich, I mean, that is like the the ultimate. I mean, me, I I like my plastic cups, my paper cups, you know, and then we kind of graduate into maybe crystal cups or maybe silver, maybe tin, I don't know. Um, But gold? Yeah, that's what they're doing here. They're drinking out of these gold vessels. And and right here, as we're drinking out of these gold vessels, not only is that a huge thing, but you got to remember that these were things that were set apart exclusively for God. This is what they were doing. Of course, we know this is very wrong and offensive to God and his people, but they drank and they praised their gods. And in those days, the conquering country would often attribute the victory to their god or gods. It was a sad fruit. Really, another side note of the unfaithfulness of God's people. Why are the Babylonians gloating to their gods who are not gods at all when here are God's people, Israel, with the true God who have lost the victory? And what we see, you guys, is something that I think still happens today when God's people who have God's truth, who have Jesus Christ in their life, They get caught up in the world and distracted with the devil. And they begin and and they don't live the life that is honorable unto the Lord. And next thing you know, as they suffer defeat in so many ways in their life, they lose their testimony. And then the world, who has no God at all, thinks that their ways and their intellectualism and their philosophies are greater than the real God, then the true God, then who we have because we, the church, have lost our witness. You know, that's what they're doing here. That's what they did with Samson. If you remember, Samson was a man, and most of you guys know about him. He was one of the, probably the famous judges of Israel. He was the guy that was so buff and strong, and, and he had so much potential He could have delivered the nation of Israel. But he fell into sexual sin. And as a result of that, the Philistines captured him. They gouged out his eyes. And they made him grind in their mill. And they would take him into their temple, the temple of Dagon. And they would glorify their god, Dagon, who wasn't even a real god. 
because of the fact that Samson, the follower of the true God, didn't really follow God. And that's what we see happening right here. And of course, you know, we were, were appalled at what Belshazzar did. How, how dare he would have the audacity to take God's temple and, you know, the vessels of God's temple and drink wine and mock the real God and praise the false gods. How dare he would do that. But that wouldn't even be done if only the people of God would have been faithful to God. But this is what happens. And so they drink. And when a Christian, and especially a Christian leader, falls into sin and then suffers the sentence of sin, it gives the enemy ammunition and brings shame to the name of our Lord. And so here they are praising their gods, the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. How foolish it is. Now Psalm 135, 15 through 18 talks about how the nations, they, they, they worship these gods. And I mean, you guys, you know, it's weird. Don't you think it's weird? I think we know better that they would take these statues and bow down to statues you know, you go over to Cambodia, you go over to different places of the world, and we've seen it, and they have their statues, and some of them are real nice, some of them are real, real, you know, ugly, and but they're still bowing down to them, right? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. Before I was a Christian, I would bow down to these statues. And some would say, well, you're not really bowing down to the statue. You're bowing down, you know, to the God that the statue represents or whatever. And, and, and I just, you know, to me, that, that never really made sense. People are guilty of that. But I would venture to say in our country today, um, we know better. And when he talks about praising the gods of gold and silver and all these things, he's talking about something else. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Revelation, chapter 9, verse 20, okay, so that's something that's going to happen in the future, right? During the tribulation period, it says that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the previous plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. You know, today, I don't think it's necessarily the statues as much as it is the material. You know, the gold, the almighty dollar, money, how many people have sacrificed their soul or the calling on their life for money. And yet Jesus said, no man, can serve two masters for either hate the one or love the other. Eventually, someone, something's got to give. He said, no one can serve God and mammon. But here we see they're praising the gods of gold and, and silver. And you know, when the Lord looks at America, when he looks at these places and people sometimes that are so rich who don't love the Lord, this is what he sees. you got to see it. If you're putting money before God, this is what you're doing. And the Lord sees it. 
And as they're there and they're worshiping their gods with the temples of the true God, the vessels there, they, they just cross the line. It's transgression, right? And, and so if you cross the line, and, and no, none of us know where that line is. You know, one thing I was thinking of is like, man, you know, some people want to get as close to the edge as they can. What we should do is get as far away from it as we can, right? So you don't want to cross that line because look what happens next. In verse 5, it says, In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened. That sounds weird, huh? The joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. So can you picture that? Weird, huh? <laughs> and the king cried, ah, to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold like Mr. T around his neck, right? And he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. You know, there's no doubt that this has probably been building up. I'm sure it wasn't the first time Belshazzar had gone bad, but now he had gone too far. He crossed the line. He drank from the vessels of the temple of the true God in order to praise demons. And so, you know, God didn't waste any time. Uh, look there at verse 5 in the same hour. Boom. And and I don't know what the line is. You know, you cross the line and, you know, you have an affair. You know, God is good and God is gracious. God can do some amazing things. But man, when there's not repentance, let me tell you something. The moment you do that, judgment's on its way. And right here in the same hour, God says, I'm going to deal with this. I'm not going to waste any time. And imagine that. You know, a hand appears. He just sees the hand. And it starts writing on the wall here. It says in verse 5, opposite the lampstand. Now, why is it opposite the lampstand? It's opposite the lampstand so that they can see it. They can see it. You know, i got to shine a light on this. I want you to see the hand of God writing on the wall, the sentence of God for your sin against God. And so he shines a light right there. He wants them to see in order to make the communication clear. And so when the king saw this, he was really afraid. Um, I have a feeling that he was immediately sober, don't you think? Like, whoa, you know, <laughs> his knees started knocking together. Uh, whatever could this mean? And so he brings the wise men in, and it's not the first time we read about this in the book of Daniel. It keeps happening over and over again. Why? Because God is trying to communicate a message to us, right? He's trying to say that when it comes to the things of God, the, the, the wise men of the world, they don't have a clue. They, they don't have a clue. 
You know, we read that back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, Daniel chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, when the king had his dream, the wise men were not able to figure it out. The graduates from Harvard were not able to figure it out. Those who had PhDs, numerous doctorates, they could not figure it out. Why? Because this is God. This is a spiritual language. You know, the Bible says that the natural man cannot receive or know the things of the spirit in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. And so if you're not born again, if you don't, if you're not a Christian, then you're a natural man. You can't receive these things, nor can you know these things. That's why a lot of times what happens with people, they read the Bible. They're like, well, I don't understand it. And the reason you don't understand it is because you need to get saved. You need to get born again. You need the Lord to come in and to lift the blinders from your eyes and your heart. And the Spirit of God will come in. See, the natural man can't receive these things. He can't know these things. Here's something else that's really interesting. The carnal Christian can't know beyond the ABCs of Christianity. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, man, I wanted to give you guys some meat. I wanted to give you guys some deep things of God, but you were carnal. And I couldn't tell you, but when you walk in the spirit, then you will be able to receive and understand and know the deep things of God. And that's what Daniel does. These other guys, unfortunately, they don't know. Um, And, you know, they had their education. They had their degree in theology, maybe. But it's an infinitely far cry from those things and being able to hear the voice of God. Can we see the difference it is? You know, and one of the things about Calvary's is kind of cool is that, you know, sometimes people, and it's okay, I understand, I completely understand. They'll come up to me and they'll say, where did you get your degree? And, you know, um, I understand. They, they want to know. And it, it probably would be helpful because my son says that my grammar is terrible, um, you know. So, <laughs> but you know, we tell him, um, "Well, this is where I went to school. I graduated from Calvary Chapel Bible College. It's not like the most accredited in the world, but really, um, when you want to, when you want to serve the Lord, it's not about degrees. It's not. It's about." whether or not you're called by God, whether or not you're surrendered to God, whether or not you're, you're broken before God, whether or not you're willing to be a slave to God. See, that's who Daniel was. He didn't have an education. He didn't have a degree. And we got to know that the wisest men in the realm of humanity with the highest IQs could not help this king even though he offers them riches and gold. Again, it wasn't the first time they were unable to provide answers. And, you know, maybe, and some say, well, the reason they couldn't understand it or at least read it is because it was written in Hebrew. And that's a possibility, although I would venture to say these guys probably even knew that. But, um, you know, I wonder sometimes, like, what language we'll speak in heaven. Um, You know, you guys ever think about that? Uh, Probably Hebrew, huh? If you had to guess, maybe that or Spanish. Those are the two that I'm thinking. (laughs) So I've been I've been practicando mi español. (laughs) I've been practicing that. Such a beautiful language, right? 
But you know, you're, it was probably I don't know written in Hebrew, but that's a possibility. But you know, even then, the words from the heart and hand of God can only be understood by a man of God. It still requires the man of God to be under the influence of the Spirit of God to understand the deep things of God. And so, you know, we read here in verse 9 that the king, when he brought in all his wise guys, they couldn't understand it. He was even more troubled. One version says he was even more terrified and his face grew more pale and his nobles were baffled, dumbfounded. In our vernacular, we would probably just say they were tripping out, right? They're like, whoa, this is crazy. And so what are they going to do? And so in verse 10, it says the queen because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief in the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. It always takes a lady to, to figure it out, huh? That's what I've noticed in life, man. I'm not sure, you know, if she heard what was going on or someone called her, but in comes the queen. Uh, she is able to, and I don't know if it's just something she studied out or maybe even something she experienced. She's able to recall the things about Daniel. Hey, wait a minute, time out. They go back to the days of Nebuchadnezzar, things that Belshazzar doesn't seem to recollect and some say that she's the wife of Nabonidus. Um, some say she may have even been the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, because that's a possibility. Daniel right now, he's about 81 years old. Uh, remember when they first got to Babylon, he was somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. And so it's a possibility that she's the wife of one of these kings. But whoever she is, uh, she says, hey, don't worry she kind of says, have happy thoughts. That's what she tells him. Smile, you know, because there is a man named Daniel in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And she tells this king, Belshazzar, about Daniel's track record, how he's able to understand these messages from God, unlike these other guys in the world. She said this about Daniel, that in him is light and understanding and wisdom, knowledge, the interpretation of dreams, the solving of riddles, the explanation of enigmas, which literally means in the Aramaic language, the ability to untie knots. And, you know, I was thinking about that because I have a 100-foot uh, electric cable that I use to, um, you know, blow my, my lawn and stuff. And, you know, pretty much every week I, I, I sin when I try to untie the knot, you know. This is crazy, you know. I know, but, you know, just the, the, the knots of life, you know, the things that, that how do you get out of this? You know, and you're there and, and you're pulling out hair. You're at wit's end. You don't know what to do. This is what you need. You need the wisdom of Daniel. You need the God of Daniel. That's all. You know, the same God that Daniel served way back then, far, far away, is the same God that we serve. You know, right here, it says the one thing they knew about him is the spirit of God. 
the anointing of God, the Spirit of God was in this man's life. You know, and, and so what do they do? They, she says, I know what to do. Just take it to Daniel. You want to know why we could take it to Daniel? Because he's going to take it to God. And that's all we need, right? I mean, it's the Spirit of God. We read it here in verse 11. We read it in verse 12, back in chapter 4, verse 8 of this book. Everyone knew it was a evident, evident, the queen, the king. Everyone knew it was the Spirit of God. See, and here's the thing, you guys. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we're talking about the one who lives in you. The one who lives in you. And as we face all the things that we face in life, we have to allow the Spirit of God to lead us. You know, that scripture we know so well, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And there he is building the temple. And God says, the only way you're going to do it is, is by the Spirit of God. You know, and for us here in this congregation, you know, Mark mentioned something earlier that is so so important, and that is our families. Now, I know not all of you here are married, but maybe most of you here are. And, you know, as a church, you know, we, we just, we want you to have a wonderful family. We know that if we take care of our families, God's going to do a work in us and through us. That's our responsibility. It begins at home, Right. And the only way that that's going to happen is by the Spirit of God. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And here I am, and to be honest with you, I am a dad, I have a wife, and I have two kids. I want to build my family up. I want to build them. You know, I don't care too much about the house, although I do the lawn and if you guys want to help me one day, feel free, you know, and there's so much, I have such a huge yard and I feel like I'm getting buried. I can't pay you though. Uh, no, I'm just joking, you know, I'm, no, but seriously, some people will focus more on, on building that house than their children. All I'm saying is that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, who build it, I want to build my family so much. And you want to know another thing I want to do? I want to protect my family because there are so many things that want to destroy my kids. But unless the Lord guards the city, stay awake in vain. See, it's got to be the Spirit of God. I, I want to bring us to that place where we have no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in your own righteousness or morality, no confidence in your money or your wisdom. Like Daniel, they stripped him of everything. He didn't have anything. They took him away to Babylon. What do you have? Nothing but God. And that's when you find out that God's enough. He's more than enough. It won't be your mind. It won't be your muscle. I don't care how strong you are. It won't be your awesome army or that strong soldier. It won't be your morality. It won't be anything about your ability. It won't be by the smartest of men. It will only be by the Spirit of God. 
And that's why I was sharing with you earlier, it seems to be a contrast here between Daniel and Belshazzar. Belshazzar was under the influence of alcohol and the spirits of this world, while Daniel was under the influence of Almighty God. And you see it throughout the scriptures. You know, when Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, that was the explanation. Pharaoh even said, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And so um, we read in verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the king. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can, read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, and you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so, you know, Daniel's brought in, the king looks to him, the king speaks to him, you're the slave, you're the Hebrew slave, yes, I'm the slave, a slave of men, slave of God, in whom is the Spirit of God. The king says, no one can help me, I tried everything, no one can help me, can you help me? I have heard that the Spirit of God is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom, and so... If you can read the handwriting on the wall, then you'll get the purple. You'll be promoted to the highest position possible, and you'll get a gold chain like Mr. T, right? You know, some say it was a gold collar in reference to the position he held. All I know is that he just said, you know what, I'll, I'll reward you greatly if you do this. And, uh, you know, Daniel, we're going to see, he doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want any of that. Why? Because it would be temporary it's going to be short-lived and so we read in verse 17 that daniel answered and he said before the king let your gifts be for yourself and give rewards to another yet i will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation O king the most high god gave nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty glory and honor and because of the majesty that he gave him all peoples nations and languages trembled and feared before him Whomever he wished, he executed, and whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with dew of heaven. For how long? Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he wishes. You know, and you look around the world today, um, you know, our country is a great country. It's a powerful country. Um, we have our president. I mean, and you just sweep your eyes around the world and you look at places like Russia 
and China, Iran, Israel, Palestine, you know, um, North Korea. I mean, you could just go on and on all around the world. And, and, and when you're reading the book of Daniel, because we're going to see as we get into it how God is prophesying about all these nations, because he knows the end from the beginning, you realize that God is the one doing this. Somewhere in the free will of man and the human responsibility that we have, as we rule, God overrules with his sovereignty. You know, and he wants us to know that as citizens, but he especially wants the leaders to know that as leaders. You know, these guys got to know, you know, that, that God rules that God put them there. And I've mentioned to you before, if only our leaders would humble themselves to realize that God is the one who raises up and God is the one that puts down. You know, when Daniel comes in to write the, you know, and re- re- read the interpretation, he, he, first of all, he says, you know, let me tell you your sin. You know, he doesn't water it down. He doesn't like, hey, you know, let me be like diplomatic about this. You know, let me beat around the bush. He says, man, you knew better. God has been communicating to this country. God made it clear to your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. It's written in the annals of history. There is a God, but you suppress that knowledge. He said, you knew better. And this is a sin. God was the one who had given the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom. It was even prophesied before it happened in Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 14. God tried so hard to bring the Babylonians to this place and educate them with the dynasties of this truth. Remember Daniel's words back in Daniel 2, 37 through 38. He said, you, O king, are king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. But he talks about how Nebuchadnezzar messed up big time. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar came to that point in his life where he said, look what I've done. Look at the kingdom that I've built. Famous last words. You guys don't ever think that. You know, maybe God's blessed you. And you're thinking, look at how great I am. You know what? Were it not for the grace of God, what would we have? You know, the Bible talks about this. Exaltation in Psalm 75, 6 and 7 comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is a judge. He puts down one and exalts the other. And he just said, you know, man, your, your, your grandfather, there in verse 20, his heart got filled with pride. And so God dealt with him, and God made him think about it like an animal, you know, eating grass. That's terrible, right? And so it says in verse 22, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And, and I read that right there, and I just think, Lord, what an awesome God that you are. And I get convicted. You know, I just, you know, we forget the Lord. You know, we go through our day, and we don't treat 
our wife nice or we don't treat our children with respect and kindness or we go through the day and and just the different things that we do or we neglect to do and we and we we don't glorify god and we forget him you know before i was a christian i think that was my greatest um i i guess you could say stumbling block you know, I just would live my life. I, I, you know, if someone talked about God, I would listen. I wasn't like really like dead set against it. But I guess for the most part, I just ignored him. Didn't pray to him a whole lot. Didn't go to church. Didn't really, you know, pay attention. Even though I read my Bible, I read the whole thing. I, I, it never meant anything to me. You know, and yet he holds our breath. I mean, and what does that mean? That means that as I breathe, that he gives me that. Every single one, he says, hear me all. Here's another one. I want you to keep living. Because if God, if God didn't give me my breath, I would die. See, and he keeps us alive. There's this thing called common grace. There's this thing called special grace. Do you realize that if it wasn't for the grace of God that we would all be dead? You know, and the Bible says the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, I, I don't, I mean, I know for sure. I mean, there were times where I know before I was a Christian and, you know, just driving home so drunk, not even remembering, you know, driving. All I know is I woke up the next day. How'd you get home? Well, there's my car. I guess I drove. I mean, I would be dead. Were it not for God, this is the God that keeps my heart beating. This is the card, the God that keeps that sun shining and this world spinning, and we don't glorify Him. Not only that, it's so amazing you're here. Not only does He keep us alive, but He owns all our ways. What does that mean? That He assumes responsibility. That your life is His responsibility you know and as you think about that I, I pray that it would encourage you I pray that you would know how wonderful that is to know that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords the God of the universe is the one who oversees my life and we're not puppets he doesn't make us do things but man he's there doing the best he can kind of like a coach on the sidelines, you know, is meeting with his players, them going out into the game. He's doing everything he can other than violate our own free will to help us win. He owns all our ways. He's responsible. And he holds our breath in his hands. He keeps us alive. And how many people, they don't care. They don't glorify him. This is what Belshazzar did. And so, in verse 24, it says, Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, take out a parson. And this is the interpretation of each word, Mene. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Take out, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. 
Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. I mean, there's no way, man. Babylon conquered? I mean, do you guys know that those walls were 90 feet high? Those walls were so huge, you can have chariot races on those walls. The great Babylon? Oh, yeah. Because they had crossed the line. They had transgressed. And and God said, let me give you a message. My hand, which is supposed to be a hand of affection and love, I want to hold you in my hand. I want to caress you with my hand. I want to hold your hand. I want to put your hand in my hand. God says, this hand that's supposed to be so good, you have refused. You have refused. And you've lifted your hand against me. So then God says, his, sends his hand. And he writes, he writes, it's the writing on the wall. This is what you've done. It, it numbered, mene, mene. Um, the day's circled now. You know, numbered. And then he uses that word, uh, tekel. You've been weighed in the balances. God says, I really looked at you, and you, were, you look really good. You look like you have substance to you, but really you're like the chaff in the wind. There's no substance to you. Your days are numbered because I've weighed you and I found you to be a man who has no substance. And Perez, meaning that you lost, you lost your kingdom. And I'm now I'm giving it, God says, I'm going to give it to the Medes and the Persians. So they reward Daniel and, you know, it doesn't last for too long. Daniel would be raised up in the Medo-Persian Empire as well. But, you know, that very night, this man right here, he died. And when he died, and when we die, we will stand before the fullness of God, not just his hand. We will stand, he will stand before God. My prayer is that as we, we read a story like this, as we understand what took place in, in history, that we would not be like Bel, Belshazzar, but that we would be like Daniel. That we would not be under the influence of the spirits of this fallen world, but would be under the influence of a holy God. That we would not transgress or even see how close to the line that we can get, that we would flee the other way. That we would glorify the God who holds our breath in his hands. The God who owns all of our ways. Because one day, maybe it won't be today, but one day we'll die and we'll give an account. And the Bible says that everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, you've separated yourself from God. But the Lord doesn't want that separation, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all your sins. 
He died for all of your sins, past, present, future. They were laid on him. He paid the penalty for you and for me. And they put him in a grave, but the third day he rose again to prove who he is, that he's the conquering king. He's the victorious, almighty God. He is the savior of the world. And all you have to do is put your faith in him. You know, you don't have to do a million push-ups. You don't have to jump through hoops or stand on your head till your ears, ears turn red. You don't have to do anything like that. You know, today, I think it was yesterday, they're canonizing these saints in Rome, right? The Pope is. He's canonizing a couple other popes. I don't know why they do that. They shouldn't do that. Don't pray to anybody. You don't pray to a saint. You pray to God, right? But I'll tell you what, you don't need to get canonized or hypnotized or mesmerized or even baptized to get saved. All you got to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a gift that God gives to you. And in that gift, um, that's all he's saying, believe in my son. Believe in my son. And and when you receive him, then, then it's so cool. You win. You win over sin. Uh, how many of you, just out of curiosity, I know I'm kind of, well, I'm not really changing the subject. I'll come back to it. But how many of you guys heard of Roger Staubach, the f- quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, right? America's team. That's what they say anyways. But uh, anyways, he, uh, he, he he's a quarterback, goes down in history. They actually won the championship in 1971. And, you know, the thing about Roger Staubach, he has an interesting story because he had a great coach. Any of you guys remember his coach? Tom Landry. Now, one of the things about Tom Landry that a lot of people might not like is homeboy called every single play. Every single play. they would He would send it in every single time. And, man... You know, for Roger Staubach, you know, after he's been playing for a while, he just, you know, he gets a little tired of this. You know, he was like, man, he admitted that he had really some struggles with the fact that coach would call every single play. Even though he know his coach had a genius mind when it came to football strategy, you know, Pride said, man, I should be able to run my own team. I'm the quarterback, right? But what ended up happening eventually is Roger accepted his role as being subordinate to his coach. He then was good with the issue of obedience. And once he learned that whole heart of, you know, humility and subordination and obedience to his coach, they won. They won the championship. You see? And and the same is true for us. How do we win? We win by being obedient to our coach who said what? Believe in me. Believe in me. See, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I wanted to mention to you guys that we have a missionary in Cambodia, Katie and Joshua, and they're applying for their the uh, passport for their son, and they're trying to get adoption processes and things like that. So the 30th, I think, it's then they have a meeting, so keep them in prayer. But I was just thinking about them. This is the last thing I'll mention to you. Because I read a story about a, an individual who had a dual citizenship. Um, there was a man who was a citizen of France and also a citizen of Great Britain. And uh, the interesting thing is it was during a time when the English defeated the French at Waterloo. And so while that man was a citizen of France, um, 
Waterloo for him was a defeat. But when he became a citizen of Great Britain, Waterloo for him was a victory. And you see, for us, in one sense, the way that life works and all the craziness that's taken place is really whether or not you get the victory is dependent simply upon what citizenship you hold. Are you here today and you only have the citizenship of maybe this country, this world, this earth? Or do you have the citizenship of heaven? You know, and I'm thinking about all these papers and how, how tough it is and how, you know, sometimes even in other countries, unfortunately, you have to bribe the government, man, to get these things. But how do we get our citizenship in heaven? You choose. You guys want to go to heaven? If you want to go to heaven, that's all you got to do is choose. I choose Christ. Today I pray that you would choose Christ. Lord, I thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, Lord. And I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you so much um, just for working here in hearts. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who wants to choose and they want citizenship in heaven, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that you work in them and that you stir them up. And if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then um, what I would like you to do is raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. You want to make that decision, man. Today's a day, a new beginning, a day of forgiveness, a day of faith. We'll canonize you as saint right here, right now. Man. But you got to choose. You know, and maybe you've come to church a thousand times, but you're not sure. You know, maybe you drifted away from God and you got to come back. Today's the day where God wants to work in your life. So if you're here today, would you just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you? Anyone here? The most important decision. Thank you, Lord, for the hand that went up. The most important decision that you'll ever, ever make. You know, I know that God brought you here. I know he loves you. And I know he wants to do a new work in all of our lives. But he's a perfect gentleman and he'll never force himself upon you. So with everything you'll find in life as a Christian, God will draw the invitation. God will send. God will call. But you got to take a step of faith. And once you take that step of faith, it's like someone's unlocked the door. And next thing you know, you're you're born again. Anyone here? Just raise your hand. Anyone else? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, As many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. God has a plan for your life. So does the devil. Don't let the enemy win. Anyone else? Anyone else? So let me pray for those hands that went up. Lord, I thank you for the hands that went up. God, just I can't even begin to imagine, describe in any way the love that you have for those individuals, Lord. And I pray that today, Lord, you would just breathe on them, Lord, that life and that power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, that today would be a day they could circle on their calendars as a new beginning. Uh, Lord, that they truly would have been born again, just completely belonging to you from now and to forever, Lord. And Lord, bless your people, bless your beautiful church. As we go through, Lord, the battles, Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient, let you call the shots, the plays, you dictate the rules and responsibilities we have in life, God. And let us not be in any way bombed by that, but let us rejoice in that. Let us be blessed in that we are the people of God. So I love you, Lord. I just pray you lavish down your love and your blessings upon all your people. Lord, I pray with all my heart in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.